Before we uh, begin, one thing I, I did, I failed to mention during prayer time, but I want to bring up now and ask you to, to keep in your prayers, uh, and that is this morning at the 815 service, we did a blessing and a prayer over Kathy Strait. Uh, that name, some of you may know Kathy, many of you may not, but some of you may remember a few months ago, Kathy was, um, came to all of our worship services and shared about the opportunity she has this summer to go to uh, the Congo and to be in ministry at the Sumatab Hospital in Kapanga, where her mother and father, when they were missionaries, had been a part of establishing that hospital. So, so those of you here remember, Kathy came and shared that. Uh, many of you reached out and supported and donated either money or items for her to take to Kapanga. Um, she's going to be leaving in a little over a week, but she won't be able to be here next week with us. So we did a blessing and a prayer over her. And so I want to, one, share that with you for you to keep Kathy in your prayers as she prepares to make, make this trip to the Congo. But also to share with you some of the things that you've made possible because she is going to be taking a lot of things with her. And, and this is actually an incomplete list because since this list was, she shared this, more things have been donated. But she is taking with her when she leaves for Africa and, and for the hospital and the work there of the hospital, uh, 10 walkie-talkies. Um, I think it's now like 2,400 cotton balls, which again, I don't know who counted, but apparently 2,400. Uh, one ex um, external portable hard drive, a laptop computer, at least one if not more, uh, medical, uh, medical French dictionary, a bunch of thermometers, 300 band-aids, sterile gloves, 42 adhesive tapes, um, plus the leftover cash that she'll be giving to the hospital for them to purchase a washing machine that runs on gas. So she is going to be taking all of that and actually now more with her that you all, as a, we as a church, have donated and, and made possible. So thank you for embracing that. I joked in the first service that you ever pull up to the airport, the, the drop-off area, and see somebody like getting out like bag after bag and thinking, what could they possibly need that much stuff for? That's going to be Kathy, and she's taking it all to leave it, to leave it in Africa. So thank you for your support of that. I know she would want uh, to extend that to you, but also keep her in prayer, because like I said, that's going to be a trip uh, in just a week, and then later on the summer, we'll be doing the same prayer for our team that's going to Ecuador and for that mission. So a lot of, even though it's summer and even though things slow down a little bit, it's a pretty exciting time, a lot of neat things happening and, and we'll be over the next few weeks and then moving to VBS and camp and it's going to be, it's going to be a, a fun, eventful summer. So keep that lifted in prayer. Now, want to, uh, let's, let's shift gears a little bit this morning. How many of you watch Price is Right? Okay, all right, there's a few of you watch Price. There is, uh, I think, a game there, I know there's a bunch of them that probably fit this, where you've got to try to either guess or get close to the, maybe it's a higher or lower game, I don't remember, but every day, kind of off-the-shelf, supermarket kind of items. You've got to see how well you know how much things cost. I guess that's kind of really the base of the entire game show. Um, Drew Carey, right? Drew Carey still post that? Okay, Drew Carey. Um, can of Barbasol, 11 ounces. How much do you think it's worth? I hear $2, $1.89. $1.69, you're getting closer. It was about $1.57, I think, is what I saw. Except this isn't just any can of Barbasol. This is Beard Buster Barbasol. It's for my heavy beard. Um, so that's $1.89. $1.89. Oh, you're still low. You're still low. How much do you think? 
Beard Buster Barbersaw. Two thirty-nine, three dollars. Still got to go higher. Three dollars. I'm. I don't price it. Look at. It. She's getting mad at me. Like. Mm. I'm not selling it to you, lady. So. Uh, I priced it on eBay, so I don't know, but five dollars and fifty-nine cents. Man, you guys are hostile. So wait till I tell you this. What if I told you this, that there have been times when this can of Barbasol is worth $500? There have been times when this can of Barbasol was worth $1,200. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not lying to you. Honest truth. Honest truth. It's been worth at least that much or as much as that much. Now, here's what you're trying to figure out. What's different? You know now... Something's out of the ordinary with this can of Barbasol because it looks like an ordinary can of Barbasol. Why would it be worth $1,200? Well, this is how it could be worth $1,200. It's a false bottom. It's a hollowed can. So it's meant to hide money in. Now, right now, because my children found out about it, it has nothing in it. (laughs) But it has had as much as $1,200 in it before, which has now been rendered ineffective because now everybody knows where what it is. You'll take it. (laughs) But but here's the point. So so what makes what determines the value of this can? What determined it anyway? Even if it was worth a dollar eighty nine, the value is determined by what's inside. And and what somebody's willing to pay for it. So this can take on inherently more because it has the potential for more to be put in it. It reminds us that things aren't always what they seem, that what we can gauge from the outside doesn't always speak to the value that may be present inside. Uh, we, we hear these kind of stories all the time about people finding treasures in unexpected places. Same kind of thing. There was a couple in Wyoming. Uh, I was reading about this was a few years ago, but they went to like a, a city dump, and they were getting rid of some trash, obviously, and they saw there in the, the pile of, of rubbish an old wooden headboard that had seen better days, but they saw it and they thought, you know what? We could refurbish that. We can, we can make something of that. So they grabbed it because of the old adage, somebody's trash is another person's treasure. And as they're loading in the truck, the tops, the caps of the headboard popped off and gold coins spilled out that somebody had shoved it. Yeah, that's right. You know? so, so now something that maybe had a little bit of value, but probably not much becomes incredibly valuable. Those are the kind of stories most of us wish are like, I'd love to have that kind of a story. Most of us don't get that lucky. We, my, my luck is, it's a different story that I read this week, but it was um, uh, a woman, uh, she and her husband, she had just gotten brand new hearing aids. They'd invested like significantly, like $3,000 in hearing aids. And she had never had them before. And so when the first day she wore them, she was at home, and they picked up so much noise, it actually started to give her headaches. She was hearing so well, she, hadn't, you know, she had to kind of adjust to that, so she took them out for a little while, a little brown hearing aids, and put them on the kitchen counter. And later when she went back for them, they were gone. She couldn't find them. And she had some friends over, and they're looking everywhere for her hearing aids. And she's noticed that her husband never got off the couch. He just sat there with his head down. And finally she looked at him, and she said, What did you do? And he said, I'm sorry. I thought they were cashews. <laughs> that's not a made-up story. I read that. I assume it's true. Uh, that's the luck I'd have right there. I'd eat the hearing aids, not find the wealth. But, 
And even that teaches us things aren't always what they appear to be. <laughs> and the story didn't say whether they got the hearing aids back, but... Um, <laughs> sorry, I know, too far. <laughs> things can appear to be something on the outside, have a certain worth or value, but can be inherently more based on what's on the inside. That's what I want us to kind of lead into as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 4, verses 5 through 12. Now here is a little bit of the backstory. Paul, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, is dealing with some significant criticism in Corinth because people are saying, you know what, Paul's just in it for him. Paul just, Paul wants the attention. He wants the glory. He wants to kind of lift up Paul. And so that's part of the criticism that Paul's addressing here. And you catch that flavor in the very first verse. I want you to hear um, now begin at verse 5. He says, for what we preach is not ourselves. See, that's, that's, he's responding to the criticism. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So Paul's saying, this isn't about us. It's not about us. And he goes on. He says, but we have this treasure, this light of Christ, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, may your life be at work, and may you give us understanding and, and wisdom and insight and, and obedience to your call and your invitation and your gift. Bless these moments, bless this hour of worship, and bless these words that are spoken, that they be of your Holy Spirit inspired and faithful to your call upon our lives. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that's back to this. Paul's wanting to say, this isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is God's revelation. This is God's uh, message. It's God who has instilled this upon us. We just preach to you what God has placed upon our hearts. And then he goes into this image that he wants to use to convey that there is nothing extraordinary about himself or any of those who are called in Christ that should be lifted up. He wants to use this kind of everyday and this ordinary image to say this isn't about us because there's nothing particularly special about us. And so this is what he says. He says, so we have this treasure which is what he's referencing, this, this glory of Christ manifests within us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's, that's the image he uses in verse 7, jars of clay. You have probably heard that before scripturally. If you follow contemporary Christian music, there was a, a band or is a band called Jars of Clay. But it is, it is meant to convey 
this image that, that, that we are, all of us, um, fragile and fleeting and, and in some ways ordinary. And, and that's not to diminish our value and our worth. We're going to get to that. That's not, to, that's not a, a, a diminishment or a put down, but it's to say that, that what we have is not what we lift up because we, we're, we're common. And that's what a, a jar of clay, that's what earthenware would, would have been. I, I keep this cup on my desk that I picked up years ago, and it's, a, it's just a cup of, made of, of clay, of, of earthenware. And here's, here's what you probably already know. Um, it's not incredibly durable. I have to be really careful with this. In fact, I could very easily, um, and so could you, crush this in my hand. I mean, enough pressure, and it wouldn't take a lot. It's, it's going to break. And, um, and, and you can see, even though it's not used for any purpose other than decorative purposes, it's chipped and, and cracked in places. Uh, and, and if it was used regularly, if I used it and carried it around, it wouldn't last very long. It is, it's a temporary, everyday instrument with, with a significant purpose, but in and of itself, it's very, very common. In fact, if you go to archaeological digs in Israel, and probably throughout the world, not just in Israel, uh, you will find shards of clay um, vessels, earthenware, all over the place. Because when you would be done, when you were done with a, a, a cup or a, or a vase or something made out of clay, when it no longer served its purpose, when it got cracked, it wouldn't hold the liquid, whatever it was designed to do when it couldn't do that anymore, the way you got rid of it is you just broke it. Just threw it down and, and shattered it. So when you go to old um, archaeological digs of, of cities and civilizations, you, you, know, you can kick the dirt sometimes and find parts of, of clay vessels. It'd be like us going to the beach and picking up a shell. It's just all over the place. Nobody's going to get necessarily excited about you finding a shell. You may like it and it may be pretty, but they're there. They're, they're all over the place. And so that's, that's what Paul's using this image. I was trying to think of what we might equate it to, and, and I thought, you know, it'd be kind of like our styrofoam cups. I mean, have any of you ever went, oh man, darn it, I forgot and threw away my styrofoam cup when I was done with it. No, of course not, because its value isn't holding something that in the moment is valuable to you, a cup of coffee or, or a liquid or drink. That's what these were. They may be filled with um, liquid. They may be filled with oil, olive oil, or wine, or, or, or other things of value. But what made it valuable is what's on the inside. That's how you'd go. If I said, well, is this a valuable thing? You'd go, well, I don't know. Tell me what's in it. And you'd know if it has value. What Paul wants to say, what he wants us to hear is that we're, we're, we're ordinary, but there is an extraordinary power at work within us. See, this isn't diminishing us. We're, we're ordinary, but, but God has stamped us with an incredible value. We are incredibly valuable. But what makes us valuable is that God's presence is at work within us. That God has chosen us, if you will, to be vessels of His Holy Spirit. And he's instilled that within us. And so the value, the importance, the, the significance that our lives take on is because God has taken up residence within us. And that is really powerful. And that's really important. But Paul wants us, I think, to begin to say that we look inside to the presence of God and work with us to find um, contentment, to find satisfaction, to find purpose, to find even maybe to stretch it out happiness. But we find that by looking in before we look out. Now, why is that important? Because that's the opposite of what most of us do. We pursue content and contentment and satisfaction and value and worth 
externally. And we attach things outside of us. We attach two things outside of us, um, a sense of, of our worthiness, our job resume or our school resume. How many accomplishments can we list that defines our worth? What kind of house do we live in? What kind of a neighborhood do we live in? What kind of a car do we drive? We, we give that a sense of defining our worth. How's our relationship? Are we married to the right people? Do we have the right friends? Do we, do we socialize in the right circles? Why? Because value. Value. Do, 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 we, do we do the right things, have the right things, get recognized for the right things? These become these external pursuits. Do we vacation in the right places? And none of these things are wrong. None of these are inherently wrong for us. But they are dangerous when we, ascent, when we, when we give them the power to define our worth and our value. Because what happens when the job isn't as good? And we've talked about this. What happens when, you know, you got a downgrade in the kind of car you drive? What happens when you're not in the right social circles? Somehow that, that diminishes us. Or we, we allow it to, to have this sense of diminishing us. We have to learn to understand that our value is defined by God's presence at work within us because he's given that to us. And so we start inwardly, not externally. There's a, a scene, if you remember the movie uh, Cool Runnings from years ago, the, the story that it was kind of a comedy, but it was based on the Jamaican bobsled team and starred the late John Candy. And John Candy played the part of the, of the coach of this bobsled team, but, but his backstory in the movie is that he himself had been an Olympic gold medal winner in the bobsled. He'd won two gold medals, but in his third Olympics had been caught um, cheating, uh, uh, drugs of some sort, steroids or something, and was disqualified and was banished from the sport, kind of exiled, and that's how he ended up in Jamaica running as a bookie and, you know, barely making ends meet, and, and that's how he, the backstory that gets him connected with these guys that become the, the Jamaican bobsled team. It's very loosely based on the events of the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team, and I say very loosely based on that, uh, but later in the movie, when they're in Calgary, and the Olympics are about to come, and the, and the team has almost gotten um, disqualified because of, of Irving Berlin, that's John Candy's character, because of his presence. Uh, he has a conversation with one of his, his athletes, one of the other stars, and uh, this, this young man asks him the question that's been bothering him. He says, he says why'd you cheat? You know, why'd you cheat? And, uh, and John Candy said, well, I had to win. I had to win. And he said, it doesn't make any sense. You already had two gold medals. You'd already been a winner. And he, and he goes on to talk about the fact that the, the danger, the trap he'd fallen into was exactly what I'm talking about. He had, he had given control of defining his value to his external accomplishments. His worth and a sense of, of, of um, importance was d defined by whether he won the gold medal. And he finally looks, and the line that is so powerful, he looks at this, this young man and he says to him this. He says, kind of basically saying what he learned. He said, having a gold medal is wonderful, but if you aren't enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. If you aren't enough without a gold medal, you will never be enough with one. And that's the danger that we run into. When we 
give authority and the power of things outside of ourselves, outside of us, to define our worth and value, it's never enough. Paul says that's not what defines our worth and our value. What defines in our worth and value, what builds contentment, is looking inward and knowing God's spirit and his power is at work within us. God, we are ordinary vessels, but we have an extraordinary power at work within us. And when we can do that, when we can do that, we can find contentment. Two, 250 years ago, the philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, proposed this. He said that hunter-gatherers from hundreds of years before his time were actually more content and satisfied than the men and women in what was for him modern society, even though they had far more things back then, and we could say the same now. And he said, because wealth is not defined by what you want, but wealth is defined by being content with what you have. Or not defined by what you can go out and get, but being content with what you have. And so those civilizations, those people were content with what they have until we can learn to be content. He said, in fact, poverty is described by wanting those things you can't have and pursuing those things you can't achieve. And, and we, we fall into this trap. I fall into this trap. So, so we need to learn to be content, to find from within, or we won't be. In fact, we were talking last week, uh, the, the, the band and I, before worship service, and I don't know how this conversation came up, but, but somehow they, they mentioned the quote from John D. Rockefeller, or an answer to a question he was once asked. If, you know, Rockefeller was, was at one time one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest man in the world. So he had plenty of money, and somebody once asked him, they said, Mr. Rockefeller, what's enough? When, when do you have enough? What, what is enough? And he said, enough is just a little bit more. Enough is just a little bit more. So no matter how much he had, he never had enough. And that becomes very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous to us spiritually. So Paul says you look within, find that birth. Now here's why. Why does that matter? Why is that so important? Well, let me read the next line from, from the one I just lifted up. Because Paul knows, as we know, life is hard. Not a, not a brilliant insight on my part. Life is hard. Hear what he says. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. What he's saying is, yeah, you know what? Life is hard for us too. And we're undergoing these things perplexed and, and persecuted and feeling abandoned, but none of that gets the final voice. None of that has final victory. We are able to meet that, and it's unpleasant, and it's difficult, and it's not what they'd want, but it can't overcome us. Why? Because their strength, their power it's coming from within. It's God's presence at work within them. And that becomes their strength. That becomes what allows them to face these mountains and these challenges and these difficulties and be victorious because of God's presence at work. And I started thinking of a very, very simple but I think profound way to picture and imagine this. And, and it brought me to the, the, just thinking about a tin can. Just a simple tin can. We drink out of all the time. Sharon, would you do me a favor? Let me use you as a... As a would, you, uh, would you take that? I've washed it out. Don't worry about it. Do me a favor. Crush that for me. Just crush it. Just one hand. I have two hands. It doesn't matter. Just crush it. Okay, hold on. I'm going to use you again in a minute. But Okay. Sharon did what any one of you... I could have called any one of you up. Crush a tin can. It's not hard. 
It's not that strong. We do it all the time and hopefully recycle them. But, but I, wanna, I want you to do it one more time for me. Wait a minute. Crush that one for me. Yeah, you're not going to be able to crush it. I'm setting you up. And the first service, those of you that know Steve, you know what Steve did? I, I pulled him up and he started to pop the top. <laughs> but that was the point I was trying to make. And, and obviously the same thing. You're not crushing a full can. The only way for this thing to be crushed is what's inside has to become outside. You have to, you have to empty it first. And if you had enough strength to pop the top, you could do that. Or you could just pop the top and you could do that. Then it would crush. Now, what's the difference? I mean, they're both tin cans. They're made out of the exact, in fact, they're the same kind of can. What's the difference? Well, the difference is not the can. It's what's inside. It's what's inside that gives it the strength. And you can dent it and you can kind of nick it up, but you're not going to crush it unless you displace what's inside. Well, that's exactly what Paul says. We, we, yeah, we get nicked up, we get bruised, but we don't get beaten because what's inside of us, the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's, that's Paul's truth. So we recognize that the power of God works within so that we can face what is out, what is beyond and outside of us. And that's important. Now here's the third point I want to finish with this morning. The tendency is then, okay, how do we tap into this? And the idea is, well, then we must look inside, right? We've got to look inside ourselves, but, but that would be humanism. No, no, no. In order to have the strength within, we look up. We look up. We, and and, and that's that image of us, we open ourselves up to the power of God, the power of Christ that wants to come and be at work in our lives. Because Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Right? I, stand, I don't bust it in. You've got to open that door. You've got to be willing to invite him in so that we look up so the Spirit of God will empower within and then we can face that which is outside of us. So it's up, in, and out. That, that became kind of this driving image for me, up, in, out. We look up, Christ comes in, and we can meet the challenges that are out because of God's power at work within us. It's a relationship that we're invited into. That's what Jesus wants. Wants a relationship, a heavenly father that loves us as his children and invites us to know that he's at work within us. Pastor tells a story about a young man he met years ago who was blind. And he asked him one day, he said, what happened? How'd you, how'd you lose your sight? And he said, it happened when I was 13. It was a chemical accident and blinded me. The pastor looks at him and said, how'd you, how'd you handle that? How'd you deal with it? And he's like, not very well. He said, I was devastated. I was angry. I was depressed. I, I hated God. I hated everybody. He's like, I just stayed in my room, and, and they brought me my food, but I wouldn't leave. He's like, until finally one day, my father walked in. And he said, Joe, winter's coming. They lived in Colorado. He said, winter's coming. The storm windows have got to be put up. You're going to do that today, and it better be finished when I get home. And he said, I was furious. How, how could he ask me to do this? And so he, he stewed on it for a few moments. He thought, you know what? Fine, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because it's going to be done poorly. I won't know how to do it. I don't have my sight. And you know what? Maybe I'll just fall and get paralyzed, and then they'll have a blind, paralyzed son to deal with. And then won't they feel guilty? You ever done something out of spite? You know, that's kind of the way he was feeling. 
So he said, so I, he, he made his way out into the garage and he was able to figure out where the tools were. He knew what he needed. He was able to find the, the, the windows and lo and behold, he was able to put the windows up. And he said, it was the first time I started to recognize even without my sight, my life had value. Even without my sight, my life had purpose. Even without my sight, I had something to contribute. I was still able. But then he went on to say, but you know what I learned years later? He said, I learned years later that at no point during the entire project was my father further than four or five feet away. My father never left. That's what God invites us into. A relation that says, yeah, sometimes you're going to deal with the tough stuff, but I'm not leaving you. I'm there, working within. Open your heart to me. Look up and let me come in so that you'll have the power to meet what's out there. That's the invitation Jesus gives us. Yeah, we are ordinary people, all of us, but we have an extraordinary power at work within us, and that's God's power. I pray that you are open to that. Look up, let him in, and face what's without. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the invitation you give and the, and the gift and the promise and the relationship we're invited into. We pray that we'd find strength in that. We'd recognize that we are valuable. We are worthy. You, we matter. And you're at work within us to give us the strength we need. May that be our comfort. And may that be our courage as we face the world each day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.